Hello everyone, welcome to episode 21 of the Aviation Spotters Podcast. My name is Colin Moser, and man, wasn't last week's episode with Ryan just awesome? He is such a humble and amazing man, and man, thank you Ryan again so much for coming on. I cannot express my thanks enough, and I really hope you guys enjoyed the stories that he told Man, thanks again, Ryan, but we got to move it on to episode 21 and have another special guest for you today. You guys have probably seen her photos from the back of a KC-10 or a KC-135. Yes, I'm talking about 22 Pow Pow. She is coming on the show and she's talking about her stuff as a boom operator and kind of also what is a boomy in a way, you know, we'll get into that. Uh, Before I do... Just want to say a quick disclaimer that the views and the things that uh, Lauren talks about are the views of herself and do not represent and reflect the Department of the Air Force. So with that being said, it is my pleasure to introduce Miss Lauren Powell. Lauren, good evening. How are you? Good evening. Doing well. How about yourself? Doing great. Thanks for agreeing to come on and uh, talk in a little aviation with me this evening. Hey, absolutely. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, It's always good to get different perspectives from different aircrew positions out into the to the world. Absolutely, and that's what this is for, is getting to uh, get to know about each other and uh, just breaking down those walls and, you know, getting to know about each other here and there. So, um, anyway, let's get to know you a little bit. So, uh, where are you from and uh, how you got into aviation and stuff like that? So, I think I, I stumbled upon it. Um, I grew up in Colleyville, Texas. It's right there by... DFW airport, so lots of um, airplanes in the sky, and then we went to school with a bunch of pilots, kids, um, but that was really the only time I was around any type of flying or anything like that. I actually uh, grew up racing motocross originally, so I raced that till I was 15, and then decided that uh, I didn't want to get injured anymore, so kind of <laughs> kind of stopped racing when I turned uh, 16, and then uh, just hung out for the last two years of high school, and then when I graduated in 2007, and then by 2008, I was joining the Air Force as a boom operator and um, headed into training. I didn't have any rhyme or reason into it. I, I took the ASVAB and then um, qualified for a few jobs and sent those to my uncle, who's in the Army, uh, and he was married to someone in the Air Force, and I said, well, which one of these do I want? And he said, oh, you want to be a boom operator. Uh, Checked it out on YouTube and thought, yeah, that looks pretty cool. Uh, And really, that's how I signed up to be a boom operator. I just kind of fell into it, lucked into it, whatever you call it. But I was very fortunate to go through basic training and have this job waiting for me whenever I made it through. That's pretty cool. Couple of my coworkers do the motocross stuff, and I was grew up loving motorcycles, but I never did. And uh, yeah, I heard the injury rate is quite high for uh, <laughs> for motocross guys. So, uh, did you break any did you break any bones while you're riding motocross? I got uh, banged up here and there. Um, I had a pretty rough wreck when I was 15 that I ended up getting care flighted to uh, the trauma center in Fort Worth. So after oh, that, wow. I kind of. I raced one more time after that just to kind of put the period at the end of the career there and and uh, make mom happy and move on. She says she didn't <laughs> encourage me to stop racing, but 
when I did race, she was the only parent on the side of the track screaming to slow down. So I don't think she, <laughs> I don't think she was happy with the level of speed. So I think she was kind of content whenever I said, okay, well, let's just go spend time out on the boat instead of, you know, Texas summers at the track. What is it to saying if, if it's if you're not first, you're last, <laughs> something like that? I think that's it. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, growing up near DFW, so I'm assuming that's how you kind of got the the knack for airplanes and stuff like that. Like, you know, maybe you want to go in the Air Force and stuff like that. Is, is that what kind of kind of got you into that? Um, it is. I grew up in a, a a decently heavy military background family. Um, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles, all of those people were in there. Um, I just had a strong desire to serve, uh, to be a part of something that was bigger than myself. And I really didn't go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to get to go fly around the world on airplanes. I just thought, oh, it's a job and they'll pay for school. And I think that was a, a another big chunk of it. My mom said, well, I'll buy you a truck if I don't have to pay for college. And I said, okay. Well, I'm going to join the Air Force because they pay for college. So she said, okay. So we got a truck, but it's a, a good trade-off. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, got a free truck out of it. Can't complain about that. <laughs> exactly. That's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I've I've only flown the DFW once as a kid, but luckily it was on an American MD-80, so definitely cannot uh, complain about that experience. Um, boom operator, right? Um for those that, that don't know, what is a boom operator or a boomy as they call it? So kind of what is the, what's what's kind of the, the job detail of a boom operator and and, um, and kind of what is their position in the in the flight crew? Sure. So a boom operator or um, another term now for the KC-46 guys and some other international positions, um, they're actually replacing the term boom operator with ARO, which is air refueling operator. Uh, and all that means is I'm in charge of flying the boom in the back that comes down or put out the hoses that come out of the wings or the, the center line drogue and um, refuel other aircraft that come up behind us. So you've got planes that, you know, your fighter jets and things like that that just don't have the capacity for fuel tanks to get across the water or to stay airborne for hours and hours on end. So they'll take off and be loaded down with weapons or cargo or anything they need and then they'll come up and see us and we'll top them off give them gas and they can get to get to where they need to go or um, stay on station longer which is just orbiting overhead wherever they they need to be as a boom operator you're in charge of weight and balance of the aircraft if you have passengers you're in charge of the passengers um, flight engineer 135 boom operators know uh, not quite to the level of what the pilots know, but we know all about engine start and all of the valves and switches and circuits in the jet. We're also the loadmasters, so if we've got any cargo um, or patients that are sick, we do a lot of aeromedical evacuations on the 135, so we're supervising all of that. And then when we finish all of that, we go to the back of the jet and refuel whoever comes up behind us. So lots of responsibilities, lots of training. Uh, but then at the end of the day, it's just a three-person crew, so two pilots and everything behind their seats is yours. So uh, a lot of responsibility, but it's a huge reward and, and a really big payoff at the end of the day. That's pretty cool. And uh, you, you spend most of your time in the KC-135, right, and not the KC-10? Right. I was, 
I've had a, a very odd career for a boom operator. I started out, uh, my first assignment was at Fairchild Air Force Base in Spokane, Washington. Um, and then I applied to be a flight test boom operator at Edwards Air Force Base and um, got hired. So I went down there, it was a flight test boom. So there we get to fly on an, uh, any tanker that comes in town. So your, um, your KC-767s, your KC-30s, your KDC-10s. 46, all of those jets that are coming through for testing or belong to international allies, we're flying with those guys to teach them how we certify aircraft behind to allow the actual fleet guys getting the mission done to refuel those aircraft. There we got to fly on a, a, a bunch of different tankers and then um, after a few years there I went down to our formal training unit at Altus Air Force Base in Oklahoma and that's where we teach brand new crew members um, how to fly the actual 135 and how to employ it in a hostile environment. That's, that's pretty awesome. As I, uh, I actually was media for Mobility Guardian 2019, so I was actually pretty... Uh, Australia didn't... They, their KC-30 just left, but... Um, so out of... Have you had any experience then with the new KC-46? I have. We did um, some ergonometry testing with it. Uh, at Edwards, and then we did a, a lot of the initial testing and things like that. Uh, my coworkers and I, uh, lots of meetings and telecons and working different things. So I think uh, it's gotten a bad rap so far, um, which is kind of unfortunate because it's a new aircraft and nothing new is ever flawless. Um, unfortunately, their issues have been a, a bit more public with social media and other retired boom operators chiming in, but they don't really know the mission set it has. So the, the 46 will bring a different dynamic to the fight that tankers usually don't bring uh, naturally. We can load things on the aircraft to do things, but the 46 comes from the factory like that. So it's definitely going to change the outlook of the battle space and how it, how it is employed versus 135s and KC-10s. I think they've got some kinks to work out. I think everyone knows that. But at the end of the day, it's, it'll be a good aircraft. It'll be a good tool to have in the, the inventory. Definitely something different. Yeah, and another thing that's different too is there's no uh, glass like you get in a KC-135 or KC-10. It's all uh, kind of what the K the Airbus tankers, the KC-30s and the MRTTs is. You have a, what, a little screen and sit in the part of the aircraft is that is that right yeah so instead of being in the back looking out the window and actually having eyes on the receiver you actually will sit up front facing aft and have um, your controllers there along with your cameras and things like that that you're getting feedback from i've heard it helps a lot at nighttime it, a lot of people say it's easier to refuel at night than it is in the daytime just because the camera fidelity is so high uh, and i only expect that to improve as as improvements happen on that aircraft they've got they've got a ways mm -hmm. to go but it'll it'll get there it'll be a good jet so i think that they're going to start doing coronets and taking the load off of the tankers though the kc-10s and 135s been been the workhorses of the air force and so they're going to start taking some of the stress off of us which is really all we can ask for and i mean you guys what you said earlier is you guys are besides the actual crew chief 
themselves. You guys sounds like you know the aircraft, you know, in and out, back or hand. So you guys do a lot more than just refuel the aircraft. So I mean, that that's probably a good sense of you know, let's take some of that stress and and the uh, and load off the boom operator and just let them be kind of a boom operator at that, especially when the tough when it starts getting a little tougher out there. So that's 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 pretty. I'm assuming for you guys, it'll be it'll be kind of nice then. Yeah, we're we're definitely looking forward to it. I think as more and more booms kind of become less skeptical about the camera systems, I think they're going to start to realize, you know, hey, oh, sitting in a chair versus laying down with my neck propped up, well, it doesn't hurt my back as much, or I'm not having to have a <laughs> neck surgery, uh, which most booms will have by the end of their career. So uh, you can always spot a 135 boom because they kind of walk hunched over, and if they go to pick something up, they usually grunt because their backs are shot by then. But <laughs> the 46 will hopefully start to prevent that, and we can kind of move away from cables and pulleys and use more of the advances in technology to help the strain on, you know, our 18-year-old bodies that by the time we're 38 are no longer no longer as flexible, I'll say. Well, that's that's awesome insight and this Joe Schmo and people that I don't really know a lot about um, aerial refueling, that's great insight, so thank you for that. Uh, let's kind of move it on to something that, that a lot of people kind of know you for, and those are your, your aerial photos. You know, kind of the basic, you know, people who listen to shows, the basic kind of question is, what type of camera do you have? But in this case, you really don't use a camera. I don't. I think I'm going to be ashamed. I definitely use uh, normally just an iPhone propped up in the back, and sometimes recording a video, uh, hopefully you get a couple of really good pictures. My last assignment down in Altus, it was nice because you could have, you know, your camera or the student's camera propped up and they could take pictures and photos while you were refueling. And then when they got in the seat, you could set up the camera that way. And then when you land, you know, you can go back through the footage and sure there's good stuff to pull out, but also like, hey, did you see your alignment on this contact? Okay, so let's take really cool pictures and videos, but at the same time, let's learn from them. Okay. Most time it's an iPhone. I've used GoPros in the past. Uh, most time I don't understand how you charge them <laughs> or the cards in them or what really nice ones are. So I really just stick with a, an iPhone most of the time. But at Edwards it was nice because it, they took the stress off of it. If we were doing some type of testing that was historical or uh, they needed a safety person videoing or anything like that, we got a lot of the footage sent over to us like, hey, we got these really cool pictures over the top of y'all or, you know, the sun setting in the background or or over L.A. or things like that. So, And they're, they're the professionals, so they actually knew how to set up normal cameras instead of iPhones and, and take really cool photos of us. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm assuming when you're at your time at Edwards, you probably saw a lot of cool stuff that went down out there. Absolutely. It was uh, definitely the best flying of my career I think I've had. It was just mature aviators going out in very big picture, very low threat environment, more dangerous than a normal flight, obviously, but you just get to see so much cool stuff and definitely get the the bird's eye view of the whole fight, right? Whenever I'm, I'm a student or ever I'm, I'm flying, you know, a local mission at Fairchild or whatever, we don't really get to see like why am I refueling this guy? Who cares? Okay, it's my 10th C-17. I, I really don't care anymore. Uh, but at Edwards, you get to see, oh, so, you know, this guy needs to get across the ocean. Um, like, for example, when the Dutch bought their F-35s, they flew their KDC-10 over, and we got to fly on it to help certify the F-35 behind that platform. 
and then to get to watch it take off with an F-35 on its wingtip going back across the pond and saying, oh, okay, well that, you know, that's definitely why I flew these missions and it's cool to, to see clearances come out based on your testing. So it kind of gives you a sense of, I did that, I helped do that, and I helped get a fifth gen fighter with a different foreign country online with that tanker. So uh, that's, that's a pretty cool sense of accomplishment then. Absolutely. It was, it's, uh, it was definitely a really cool assignment. I wish it was kind of a, the best kept secret we used to say, and, and I, I think with a lot of us, myself and some other test booms, kind of having things on social media that have been cleared, I think it's another way just to get other booms in the Air Force aware of, hey, what's this little thing in the desert and how come they get all the cool planes? So we've definitely had a lot of interest that way um, and folks reaching out, hey, how do you apply? How do you do all of that? Uh, because it really is the best, the best flying job, I think, by far for a boom in the Air Force. Yeah, and especially with social media and stuff nowadays, is uh, we'll kind of get into here in a, in a minute with your photos. But like you, you post cool photos and stuff like that, and that's kind of the new the new generation, right? You know, well, I was actually having a conversation with a friend tonight about you know a lot of the old generation is moving away from the standard you know websites and flyers and stuff like that. And it's all social media now, and you know that's what's moving to and especially with your photos from uh, yourself and all the other boom operators is how cool is a boom operator you know you get to see awesome cool airplanes you know you get to see the world and you're flying and stuff like that and you know it's that, that's 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 the way it's coming and i hopefully a lot of other companies not just in aviation but a lot of other uh just companies just pick up on that absolutely i think one of the the things I always remind people is you get a lot of booms that get kind of burnt out, going through the daily grind, um, a lot of pilots that get burnt out, just you kind of lose sight. Like, I know they say, you know, the coolest job in the world gets boring some days, but I always try to remind them like, hey, we've got, you know, airmen on this base who win, you know, the wing airmen of the year and their reward is to come fly with you for a day. They don't get to make contacts. They don't get to you know, physically refuel anything, they just get to watch you do your job, and that is their reward, but that's your daily job. And I think we so often are quick to lose sight of just how cool it is to get paid to go fly million-dollar airplanes around the world to go refuel other million-dollar airplanes, and we have 18-year-olds doing this. Uh, I do love seeing the KC-135s and, and just the tankers and stuff here in Boise, but... Um... Kind of a more av geeky thing. Uh, I know some people are going to ask this question, so I thought I'd just ask you this: Is the Dutch KDC-10 versus the, the this a regular KC-10? There any differences besides one being a converted passenger airliner? Absolutely. So the the KC-10 obviously is very similar to the 135. It's got the window in the back. Um, they sit up like they're sitting in a chair. Oh, I guess they actually are sitting in a chair. Uh, and they control the uh, the boom that way. In the KDC-10, though, they didn't want to cut a window in the back. It would cost too much money, and uh, that's just not the route they wanted to go. So that is actually um, an RVS or remote vision system aircraft. So that is very similar to what you're going to see on a KC-30 or a KC-46, where you wear some type of 3D glasses or a helmet or something of that nature, and you're actually sitting at a console up front refueling. So it's it's way more advanced than a regular KC-10 is. Okay. Oh, wow. That's that's really interesting. You learn something new every day. And, you know, I thought it was just a 
KC, uh, sorry, it's a regular passenger DC-10 that was converted. They chopped a hole in the back and called it good, but I didn't realize it's actually a little more advanced than that. So, And those those guys were absolutely fantastic to have in town. They had Stroop waffles for us and all kinds of Dutch goodies uh, in the Heritage Room. So th- those guys were fantastic. That's pretty cool. When I was doing Mobility Guardian Media, unfortunately, we didn't get the chance to talk to any of the Dutch guys. Uh, we just kind of drove around the aircraft real quick. Um, it, it, was, it was getting ready to, to head, it was kind of towards the tail end of the exercise. And uh, it's kind of a funny story about this. So we're, all, we're driving around the aircraft, and it, the DC 10 is one of my favorite passenger airliners. So seeing, you know, a KC 10 or a KDC 10 or just a DC 10 in person is always for me. It's, kind of gets the blood flowing again like oh you know i just nostalgic but it's really fun so driving around and uh, we're looking and the guy and there's a cart at the back and this dude's all in just like a hazmat gear and uh working for an airline i know exactly what's going on and we're watching the dude dumping the laugh on the kdc10 <laughs> i'm like oh man that's you join, you join an Air Force, and that's the job you get. Ugh. Yeah, our, our crew chiefs are definitely the unsung heroes. Um, the 135's bathroom is is not great. We have two, uh, we call them torpedo tubes, and those are for the guys. And then we have, it's like a really old camper toilet. Um, and those maintenance guys have to, you know, you have to pull it out, take it down the ladder, uh it, empty it bring it back up the jet it's and it's 65 oh. years of just good good stuff on there and and but they they do it so our maintenance guys definitely are the only reason that 135 is still flying or as flyable in general the case the kc-135 is like one of those aircraft my listeners often know i compare the dc-3 that will go on forever and i think the KC-135 will complement the B-52 in 100 years. Absolutely. You know, this, the airframe, is just, it's, it's cheap, it's reliable, it's rugged, parts are available for it. You know, it's just, it's, I mean, you, either the KC-10 will be retired before the KC-135 will ever be going out. Especially, just not in the KC-135 variant, you have... How many more of the of that of the C one thirty five variant is there in the U S military and stuff like that? You know. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a we definitely got uh, our money's worth with the one thirty fives and the B fifty twos. Yeah, but anyway, before we um, lose lose interest and people start drooling, you know, <laughs> but um, you know, kind of going back to the beginning, you grew up at DFW. Um, you've been around the Air Force and stuff like that. So what what is your favorite airplane? Just in general, you know, it's kind of leaving the stuff out, but just you're you're in aviation. What's what's the favorite what's your favorite airplane? Oh man, I think the F twenty two is still just the sleekest the sleekest jet we have. I just think it looks beautiful with external tanks pulling up behind us. It's it just parks right behind. It's it, the pilots are solid. It's just a beautiful aircraft for sure um, and then I think the B2 is just a freak of nature that if you flew a 135 over my country and a B2 was behind it I would just stop whatever I was doing because I don't want any of any of that funness coming down but I, I just think the B2 is incredible yeah the F-22 there's kind of a running joke between some friends and I and the F-22 Raptor no matter what angle you get of it it's always beautiful yes period 
and the F-35 looks good at 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> but that B-2, man, I actually just took my first ever photos, decent photos of a B-2 of Red Flag. Um, it's kind of really growing up, uh, um, there's a, I kind of when was it, my first grade, we had a, we had a little book report we had to do, we had to like, like write a book, right, and it's me in the first grade, and one of my illustrations is a B2, in the first, it was 2001, or 2000, 2001, something like that, and, you know, my, in elementary school and middle school, people talked about the B2, and to me, like, oh, we saw a B2 over wherever, I'm like, oh, cool, you know, and, it, you know, researching that aircraft and just the, the tests behind it and the, uh, the dark aircraft, like the, the um, technology demonstrator aircraft and stuff like that. <laughs> Holy crap. So it's not this, this with, with the Raptor as well. But, man, it's to, to see the I remember wa watching the B-2's taxi. And I'm going, I finally get to see a B-2 taking off. Yes. I finally get to see one. And that, for me, was, was so awesome. And I... You know, it kind of, for me, it took a while to to get back in there to the B-2. It's always been an aircraft, and it's like, oh, I've never seen one. It kind of, you know, subsided, and then I've seen one again in person. It's just like, okay, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's back. It's one of my favorite airplanes. It, uh, it's very humbling to see in person. It definitely projects air power. If there was ever a, an aircraft that the Air Force wanted to say, hey, this is ours, it's the B-2. It is it just looks mean. It it uh, I, I love that plane. It is. Whew. If there's some really really cool up close and high resolution photos while they're at Red Flag, and just seeing parts of the aircraft, like it's little, like has like like a like a like a rat like a like a bird beak, like a falcon beak or an eagle beak, how it turns down right in the front. I never knew that. Mm -hmm. And seeing that those high resolution photos up close, like that aircraft is such a thing of beauty when you really look at it. It just, not just beauty as in just the aircraft, but it's a flying wing. Yes. Like, holy crap, it's a fly, it just, it's a wing and it's flying. Yeah, yeah, that aircraft is, it's amazing. And I, and I can't wait to see what the B-21 has in store to replace the B-2. You know, I think that's going to be equally as jaw-dropping and amazing as the B-2. Yeah, I think it's the Peregrine Falcon or something like that is what the B-2 is modeled after. And if you ever look at them side by side, I mean, they look, it looks just like the bird. So the, the engineers that developed that technology, just brilliant. Light years ahead of, of other companies. Yeah. Um, Jack Northrup, man. I mean, he was, Jack Northrup designed the flying wing like during World War II and after World War II. And even the Germans uh, had a had a had a, uh, a flying wing design made out of wood. Uh, the Horton H O two two three or two two four something like mm -hmm. that. But, I mean, the Germans had a flying wing. Jack Northrop with his flying wings. Birds. There's a reason why birds are the way they are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they. Uh, they. I mean, they did a lot of that without computers or. I mean, just to see all that old kind of stuff. One of my favorite movies is Hidden Figures, and just to see. Just the knowledge level that they had without computers and all of that stuff, just by hand. It's just, it's incredible. I mean, I think the greatest example of that is Apollo, mm -hmm. wheeling a man on the moon, and the SR-71 Blackbird. Yes. It's still the fastest aircraft, if not the fastest aircraft ever built in the 60s with slide rulers. It, uh, it's, it's crazy. One of my 
favorite books is it's Skunk Works. I don't know if you've ever read it, but um, it talks about the SR-71 and how they built the 117 and all of that kind of stuff. And just seeing how the whole country just came together to design these projects and just got it done uh, with very little bureaucracy and red tape. It was just, it's it's pretty mind-blowing. And then you, you see where we are today and how far we've come. So I, I can't imagine where the aerospace industry is going to be in 20 years, especially if we have people like Elon yeah. Musk dabbling in it. Yes, Mr. Dogecoin himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Completely agree with you. Is There's so much technology out there that we don't even know. I mean, we don't know what's going on behind these closed doors at Lockheed and Boeing and Northrop and stuff like that. There are, are probably things that are flying out there that we don't know about that are 30 years ahead of what we even think is possible right now. And it's going to be so cool to see, I mean, in the next in the next years, especially with the B-21 coming out. And um, I know some other aircraft are probably already out there, but, you know, we're not going to see a little bit of those for 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 a long time just like how the f-117 project was but um before we go down this very very slippery slope <laughs> here of black aircraft <laughs> um, raptor b2 i don't think you can, you can beat those and plus uh what was it uh 2003 during night one of uh the iraq war what they flew the b2 from whiteman air force base all the way over to iraq and bombed and then flew them all the way back to Whiteman. Yes, there was air bridge of tankers got them there. You know, you can't do it. You know, what's what what what's what's the saying in the in the in the boomy community? Not kicking ass without tanker gas. <laughs> yep, nobody kicks it without tanker gas. Yeah, we always say, you know, like uh, for the for the Super Bowl flyover, very few people knew that all those guys got refueled, all of them. The tanker didn't lead the formation over the stadium, but the tanker was sitting there, just waiting for them to get the limelight and then to come back and give them gas so they could all go home and refueling people doing armed overwatch all around the world. The tanker's there. Definitely the unsung yeah. hero in a lot of a lot of missions. The B2 and the F22, I mean, I've seen some photos of them on your Instagram. So let's, let's just talk about your, your photos. We're going to talk about the cameras you use and stuff like that and how it does multiple parts, not just for your own personal self, but also for like crew training and stuff like that. You know, what kind of, what kind of got you to take these photos and stuff? And I think a lot of it was just sharing them with, you know, family and friends and them saying, this is awesome. You know, this isn't a normal nine to five job. And then, so I, I made an Instagram just because I was young and that's what everyone was doing. And uh, I started sharing some of the pictures on there and got really good feedback and, a couple people actually joined the Air Force, uh, and one of them became a boom operator because, you know, she reached out and, hey, how do I do what you're doing? Um, so she, she joined the Air Force and is a boom operator now. So just to see the kind of, I guess, far reach that photos and social media can have, just to show, like, hey, there are really cool jobs out there. You don't have to come into the Air Force. Not everyone's a pilot. Um, you know, not everyone does the same thing in the Air Force. There's a lot of really cool jobs. You can come in and list it or, or commission and become a pilot or a navigator or a WIZO or whatever, but boom operators have a great view of, of everything. You know, we always joke that, hey, we've got two pilots up front that take us to work and we just lay in the back and look at the Grand Canyon and uh, really cool airplanes that fly up behind us. And it's, it's a 
it's a great job and I, I kind of felt guilty keeping those photos to myself just because it's beautiful um, you know I, I always tell people when it's you know crummy weather on the ground at 30,000 feet it's it's beautiful and the clouds look so much prettier when when you're above them with the clear blue sky I completely agree I mean it's your flying you, it's even flying commercially whole different perspective and stuff like that and um, one, one thing you're, you talked about uh, commission officers and enlisted um, for those that don't know is the the boomy is that an enlisted or is that an officer do you have to commission for that so job? boom operators have always been enlisted uh, the Air Force does not have warrant officers if we were in like the army or something like that usually all aircrew will be commissioned officers or they're going to be warrant officers but since the Air Force doesn't have warrant officers we have uh, our AFSCs or our specialty coats, one alpha is just an aircrew position. So uh, for us, it's the first specialty code in the entire military, or excuse me, the entire Air Force is the boom operator career field. So we are the first enlisted job. Uh, you can get it right out of basic training if you qualify with your, your test scores. So I uh, actually never took the SAT or the ACT. I came straight in from high school into the Air Force and became a boom operator, which is nice. Uh, you know, they'll pay for your college and things like that. So I've got a couple degrees that I didn't, I paid for books and that was it. And the Air Force paid for, for the school with tuition assistance. So it's definitely a route to go. If you don't want to become a pilot or anything like that, you can obviously enlist and uh, load masters, flight attendants, flight engineers, uh, all of us are all enlisted crew positions. Awesome. And that's, that's I was just going to, I was just going to add, if you, you're not able to become a pilot or, unable to commission or anything like that I mean that sounds like a great alternative you're still flying you still you know you're still getting a great view of the world and I mean I, that's 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 pretty awesome for people that are unable to, to do something like that absolutely and then we've also got the chance you know if you come in as a boom operator or you come in enlisted you obviously can still pursue your bachelor's degree and and then pursue a pilot slot as well we've actually got a couple booms one one this week that just commissioned and he's going to become a pilot out in Florida but that, that is extremely common in our career field. They love it because, you know, you've already got your clearances and you've already got your flight physicals. You have some airmanship about you. So if you want to go down the commissioning path, that's always an option for boom operators to knock out college and then just commission and become a pilot if that's what you're wanting to do. And plus, if you go back to the tanker program, you're a boom, you're you're a previous a boom operator. So as a pilot, you know what the guy in the back is thinking. I mean, that sounds that sounds you know like a, like a great thing. Also, that the Air Force would really love, especially have that um, crew, the crew mesh or something. <laughs> right, like that, the crew you know. dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're going to go through training at Altus again as a as a co-pilot, and your your boom operator friends are obviously going to harass you a little bit, but that's just because we're we're happy for you and. We've got a really, really strong community. It's small, it's strong, there's a lot of pride, a lot of history. Uh, it's a great group of people. It's, uh, it's by far the, the best choice I think I've made in my, in my life, other than getting married. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard from my friends, is a uh, very, very tight-knit community, and everyone looks out for each other, and uh, everybody treats each other as an equal i mean especially when you're in a situation like that there's really no room for kind of you know, screwing about and just down to business let's go right. right it's 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 so much fun i think our job is just so stressful and high risk in the moment that 
we all kind of have realized that as a three-person crew and uh, you know, deployments are so much fun. You get to know your crew, you get to know their families, you get to know their kids. Uh, I mean, I can't even count the number of friends I have who we, you know, laugh back and forth like, man, you've got three kids now. I remember when y'all weren't even married and now you're married and you've got this family. <laughs> and uh, you definitely just see people that you know at every duty station. It's, you know, it's never a goodbye. It's always, oh, well, well until we PCS up there and come and, you know, see you at your next assignment. So you're always running into people that, you haven't seen in years, but it's definitely a family environment. Uh, it's a great, great community to be a part of. Absolutely, and that's what I've heard. And uh, So we talked about favorite airplane and kind of the boomy and stuff like that. You know, so as a, as a boom operator, you take with your awesome photos that people can go out and see, you, you refueled a lot of different aircraft types. What is your favorite aircraft to uh, to refuel, and then what's your least favorite aircraft to go out and uh, refuel? Oh man, I'm gonna upset some people. I think uh, by far <laughs> my favorite aircraft is uh, probably gonna be the P8. Um, I was lucky enough at Edwards to make its first contact ever during some testing, so we put an Air Force test pilot in the P8, and he flew up behind us and. Um, it was, you know, two, three years of planning in the making and to just get that first contact with a, a good friend as my safety boom operator watching everything uh, and keeping everything, you know, very, very safe in that moment. Uh, it's, it's very humbling to know that this aircraft is now going to go out and you see people, other people from around Instagram or Facebook or uh, wherever it may be posting pictures of them refueling the P-8. And it's just so cool to, to know, like, man, we did that. We put that out there. You know, and hey, what's the feedback? Did we do we do a good job? Yeah, we love it. It's great. Um, so that's awesome. You just get you know full circle there, um, and then just flying with the Navy guys and having them come out for a couple of months to to Edwards. It, they're just a great group of guys, and probably the best program I've I've been a part of was was with those guys. That's pretty cool. I love the P8. We see the P8 a lot here in Boise. Uh, the Navy guys will come down, shoot the approaches, tear up the pattern. And I, I love seeing that P8 out here. Super awesome aircraft. And it's, I think it's I, it's, just, it's a 737 that's getting thrown around the pattern like a Cessna. <laughs> I mean, as a photographer, from my point of view, can't really beat that. And the P8 is one of the very few Navy aircraft that don't do the basket. Right, right? so it was interesting. We actually had them come out and we still had the speckled trout out at Edwards at that time. They hadn't cut it up yet. Um, and it was uh, receiver capable, so it had a receptacle. So we would actually go up and have test guys in the tanker and then the Navy guys in the, the speckled trout for the receiver. And you got to sit there and show them like, hey, okay, he said, you know, forward three. This is what he's seeing, and this is why he's saying that. Oh, okay. So it was really cool to teach, because the P8 guys, they just kind of brought over a lot of the P3 guys and had their test pilots, so they obviously had never refueled. So just getting to build that community from the ground up was so much fun. And, you know, there's a little bit of rivalry with the Navy and the Air Force, and it's funny that the Air Force got the Navy's first contact in a P8, but what are you going to do? I mean, at the end of the day, you guys are all one Absolutely. team, right? Absolutely. Well, what about your uh, your least favorite aircraft to refuel? I would say my least favorite is probably probably the C-17 because I've just seen it so much. And I was at Altus, so anyone who is an instructor at Altus is going to say, oh, another C-17. 
But for being my least favorite, I I still take pictures of it and, and love when it comes up. So least favorite, but yeah, it's still pretty cool to see flying around. Oh, yeah. I mean, that C-17 is... I mean, I've actually been fortunate to fly on one for Mobility Guardian while I got to do the airdrop out of the back of the Emirati one. But um, my good friend David Honan, who's been on the show before, he does his epic low-level stuff. And he's, he sees him flying low-level, and it's just like an aircraft that big getting thrown on like a fighter jet. Like, holy crap. Um, but, what you know, there's a lot of stories out there about the C-5 being refueled and how, how difficult that is to get one of those guys... Um, because of what uh, the the bow wave that that aircraft has the, the the air pressure right so it's obviously moving in kind of like when you are in a pool and you throw something or you push something and you get that ripple ahead of it so it's the same thing in the air and we're getting pushed around by the air that the receiver's nose is actually pushing so because the C5 has a big nose um, they're actually pushing our tail up which means our autopilot or pilots are trimming down um, and then if they separate really quick or make a large movement, it's just kind of a whipping action all the way through the jet. The good thing is, is they released uh, a new autopilot for the 135. That was one of the big programs and a new upgrade it got. That issue is, is kind of a little bit more tame now. So that's huge. The C-17 is actually probably the worst with the bow wave. It, it, it'll throw you around, but it moves really fast. So it moves as quick as a fighter, and that's a ton of air to be displacing in spots you don't want it to go. Uh, but the C5, it's kind of tame. It's not moving anywhere crazy fast. Uh, she's a she's a big girl, but I, I've always loved refueling the C5s. If you if they can get airborne, I've always loved watching <laughs> watching them come up. I think that those are just they should not be flying. Things that big should not be flying through the sky. But somehow they make it work and. Uh, we always like it when Fred comes up behind us. The C5, like the world rotates around the C5 <laughs> for it to take off. And uh, we, had, we had a lot of them coming to Boise over the summer because of the National Guard's deployment. It was funny, when they came in to take the stuff out, you know, they were rotating, you know, like a C5. You know, I got some awesome photos. And just being able to see the largest air, like the, what the, one of the largest aircraft in the world take off in front of your eyes and stuff like that is absolutely amazing this every time you see like i, I don't think i will ever get tired of, of taking a photo of a c5 i think that's one of those aircraft where i will go out and see no matter what just because the sheer size of it but man when they're dropping this stuff off back in boise i think a lot of them were travis birds so I think they all they were all coming back to boise they're like hey let's have a competition who can take off on the shortest <laughs> Every day, one took off like at 3,500 3, feet and then 3,000 feet. And one day, I swear to God, he was up by 2,700 feet. Jeez. <laughs> and I was like, I was positioned, you know, a little bit farther down because, you know, C-17, or sorry, C-5, big aircraft, it'll take a while to get right. out. Right. Oh, boy. I was wrong. It was power gone dust cloud. Just, yeah, they're uh, definitely a feat of engineering. Oh, yeah. I mean... You know, we were talking again, you know, earlier about um, aircraft design, slide rulers and in, 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 in hand math. That's... Yeah, those guys have the... Granted, the back in the day, they had a little different engines on them, not as powerful as the ones they do now, but... Yeah. I mean, still, though, just... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Big airplane. I don't man. know how they do it. But, they, I mean, they've got a flight engineer, and the, the flight engineers on C-5s, those guys are brilliant. 
and uh, another enlisted crew position, and those guys are just, whew, they are very smart. Definitely a, a hard course and a hard career field to get into is, is an engineer, and those guys are incredible. And it's a dying breed, too, and I mean, I've seen that, that C5 panel, and it's, it's not small no. by any means. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely a dying breed because it's what it's the C. Uh, there's only a handful of. I mean, it was the KC135 doesn't have a crew chief anymore, right? Or so not a crew chief, a, a flight engineer, right? So we uh, actually never flew with them on the KC135. We used to fly with the Navigator, and then they got replaced by uh, just the computer, but. Uh, at Edwards, we flew with one on the Speckled Trout. They would fly with the flight engineer on that. And while I was out there, we retired the last, the last one in the Air Force. So you've got should have them on the C-130s, helicopters, uh, C-5. I'm sure I'm missing a couple of them. KC-10. KC-10. Right? Yes. Uh, so for those that don't know, that, that you keep bringing up the speckled trout, what is what is what was the speckled trout? So the speckled trout uh, came about when. General LeMay was around, and he kept wanting to go places, but he wasn't high enough on the DV list to get a white jet or a Boeing jet out, or a, a BBJ, Boeing business jet, out of D.C. So he got frustrated and said, all right, well, the next 135 that comes off the line is mine. So he, he did that, and he got the next 135 off the line, and that was his jet that he took everywhere he wanted to go. So it, it kind of took on a, a life of its own. It was a a white top tanker, kind of painted like an RC jet, uh, or it would just be straight white. And it had uh, DV suites in the back, a nice bunk area, really nice bathroom, things like that. And then it kind of looked like an airliner all the way up through. Uh, it did have a boom and it did have a boom pod. So that program actually went away under um, General Welsh. Uh, he decided it was costing the Air Force too much money, and the jet was based out of Edwards, but he was obviously not at Edwards. So it was kind of like, why do I have a private jet sitting on the ramp here that I never use? And an entire squadron of maintainers and uh, you know pilots and, and engineers that I'd, I never utilize. So he disbanded the squadron, um, but we took that tanker on as test tanker two and really just flew the DV jet around uh, it was comfy. It had TVs in it. It was nice. But it got retired, and now they have it at Tinker down in Oklahoma City, and they cut holes in it for training. So they were oh. they retired her. Nothing wrong with her or anything like that. The crew actually flew her to Tinker, and then they they put her in storage, and she just gets cut up for, for training purposes. So kind of a sad ending to a, a really cool historical jet. Yeah, you would think they would tow that one off and like put it with that uh, the B fifty two drop aircraft over at Edwards or something to preserve it because that's a very that's a historical aircraft and stuff like that. Right, they do have one of the speckled trouts is on the south ramp at Edwards, over where a lot of the it's like an older air park where there's like a C one thirty and a B one over there. They don't really maintain it, but there is an old one over there. Okay. Well, let's go at least one list. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I mean, you told all, you, you told a lot of stories and stuff like that already. But do you have one that kind of really sticks out, uh, like a story that really does stick out for you? Um, I would say, I think whatever. Probably the 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 day I knew that this job was special, uh, I was stationed at Fairchild. 
I don't remember the year, but it was the Vancouver Winter Olympics, and it needed armed overwatch. And I was 20 years old and didn't realize that, yes, the Olympics need armed overwatch in case something goes wrong. So we teamed up with our Canadian friends across the border, and every day of the Olympics, uh, we would go and just fly over Vancouver and refuel the, the, the Canadian guys or our guys if they were there. And um, I just remember looking down and seeing, you know, oh, wow, that's the mountain where Sean White and Lindsey Vaughn are going for gold tonight. And, you know, over to your left, oh, yeah, that's the, the you know, all the indoor stuff that they're doing. And just from realizing that's, this is pretty cool. I'm getting paid to watch the Olympics from, from the sky. Um, and then knowing that no one really knows we're up here or that this even exists. So I think yeah. that mission set was kind of the eye opener for, wow, this is, this is pretty cool and important at the same time. So I think just seeing tankers being used in ways that aren't normally known to people is really cool. The other kind of eye-opening was we were taking patients from D.C. and kind of dispersing them around the country back to where their families were for treatment. And it was an air medical evacuation, so we had quite a few passengers on board. And just seeing guys with, you know, their legs and tracks that couldn't get out if something happened on the jet. And just knowing I'm in charge of these people. If, you know, if something happens, I've got to get a guy with two broken femurs somehow off of this aircraft and I'm 19, 20 years old. And then looking back now, 13 years later, knowing that 18-year-olds are still doing that mission, 19-year-olds are still doing that mission. So I think that that's probably the most humbling part of the job is knowing you're just training your replacements. That's all you're doing. Every time you fly with a student or uh, a younger boom, all you're doing is training your replacement. So I think that's probably my favorite part of the tanker is just its legacy. And we just every day we just build on to that legacy. Yeah, and like we said earlier, that aircraft is going to stay around for a long time, and there are, there's going to be plenty of stories and legends built behind all that sort of stuff. And, I mean, that is very a humbling experience to do an aeromedical when, when that stuff goes down and, and people are like in, this, in that situation. And I, I couldn't imagine seeing that firsthand, let alone, you know, being a part of that. And Yeah, that's 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 pretty tough to to see but i mean the the winter olympics though i did not know that the us and canada were flying an armed overwatch over the whole entire olympic games yeah, that's that's pretty awesome seeing seeing that stuff from the air yeah yeah i thought it'd be a great a great story to tell to tell one day it was very uh very cool to to have an opportunity for sure absolutely well you know, let's start uh, start wrapping her up here. And I mean, that's been a great discussion so far. So let's start wrapping her up. And uh, do you have any words of encouragement or tips for the for the listener out there that you want to share? Sure, I would just say find something you're passionate about. I mean, everyone says the kind of cliche, you know, find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And it's it's very true. It's it's uh, you know, it's awesome. I love I love teaching and I love flying. And so this this job just pairs so well with that, and uh, it, it's great. And if, if, if aviation is what you're passionate about, then pursue it. If photography is what you're passionate about, then pursue it. And there's so many different little niche ways to live your hobby. 
So if, 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 you know, selling your pictures or finding new ways, or like we were talking about earlier, utilizing social media to just get your message out there or to get your products out there or whatnot, uh, there's so many people who just crave that and, and it just find a way to, to live your passion. If you're going to try and join the Air Force and you've been told a hundred times no, um, keep trying. There's a waiver for almost everything out there. Uh, if, if one recruiter is selling you no, go to a different recruiter. You know, Tammy Jo Schultz, the, the Southwest pilot, uh, excuse me, Southwest captain who, who had the incident where the engine exploded and the passenger got sucked out, uh, she wrote a great, a great book. And a lot of people don't know, she tried to get into the Air Force multiple times. And they kept telling her, we don't take females, we don't take females, we don't take females. So she went to the Navy, and the Navy told her the same thing, we don't take females. And she said, well, what if I get a good enough score? And they said, okay, maybe. So she got that score, and they said, no, it's not good enough. So she kept trying. Well, come to find out, they were just telling her that. Her scores were high enough, and they were hiring female pilots. And she got to land planes on carriers, and fly, you know, got to retire flying as a captain for Southwest. So if people are telling you no, then... Find a way around the roadblock, because there's always a way. You just have to want it bad enough. That is so well said, and just break the barriers. I mean, the barriers are coming down right now, uh, especially not just uh, people. I mean, the barriers are coming down right now, and that's, that's, that is an amazing thing. And you know, I'm trying, I'm like I'm trying to get on with the with 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 the National Guard, and I need to set up my tests and all that. And man, it's not easy, uh, you know. But like I said, there's a lot of people that have that have said exact same thing. You know, make them tell you no and stuff like that. You know, and keep pushing, keep trying. And that is so well said. And I hope a lot of people really do listen to that and really take that into account. That don't ever give up. Just keep trying. People, people will tell you you know, but break those barriers. Absolutely. I think that's so well said. So anyway, after that, I mean, man, that's so well said. I don't think I can. So where can uh, the listener find your work? I mean, we've already mentioned at the beginning of the show, but uh, you know, where, where's the main place and other places uh, people can go out there and, and, and find you and maybe shoot you uh, a message uh, to, to maybe kind of help sure. them out? Sure. So on Instagram, it's tutupowpow. Uh, you can follow me there, message me. I, I, I definitely respond. Um, happy to help anyone who has any questions about flying or joining the Air Force or um, any anything I can help you with. So yeah, any anyone that reaches out, I try and help as best I can. Um, I'm on Facebook also. It's kind of a more personal account. Instagram is definitely more for uh, for I guess the masses. If you guys have any questions for her go give her a follow and if you want to see some epic photos from her perspective and the boomy perspective man go give go smash that follow button smash it i mean you will not be disappointed with the quality and the cool things that that you'll see on her on her instagram but anyway guys uh, lauren i can't thank you enough for coming on and just giving this and having a great discussion i i learned a lot and i hope the listener did as well so again thank you so much for coming on absolutely thanks for letting me uh share my story and hopefully inspire the next generation of boom operators well i think you have, i think you have and you definitely will be doing that as well but uh, anyway guys 
This is the part of the show where I always say my normal spiel. If you know anybody who you would think that would love to come on the show and talk aviation with me, uh, shoot me a direct message on Instagram and Twitter at BOI Spotter and uh, give us a Facebook message on Facebook at the Aviation Spotters Podcast. Send me an email at spotterspodcast at gmail.com and YouTube. Check YouTube out. Um, if you know somebody that doesn't have the normal means of getting the Aviation Spotters podcast, definitely go share that YouTube link with them. And uh, we have some pretty exciting things coming up. We might have some merch coming up here soon, so we'll keep you updated on that. And, um, but yeah, anyway, Lauren, anything nope, else to I think add that, before we I sign think that's off? it. I think we covered it all. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Lauren. I really do appreciate it. And um, as always, guys, keep those batteries charged and those cameras ready. And we'll catch you on another episode of the Aviation Spotters Podcast. Mm-hmm.